The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hey everyone, I am Matt Straub welcoming you to a good football show. That's right, we have a new name with Roto World now known as NBC Sports Edge. The Roto World Football Podcast is now known as a good football show. Today we're going to break down some recent quarterback-driven headlines, plus some of the biggest surprises that we saw during the 2020 season and potentially what it means moving forward. I am joined by John Daigle and Denny Carter. Guys, from May 30th, 1982 to September 20th, 1998, Cal Ripken played in 2,632 consecutive games. Pat Darty has a similar streak of longevity on this podcast. He has not missed a single episode this entire season, and it is my belief, though I can't prove it, that he has not missed a taping of this show in about 23 years. So today, Pat is not here. He is hauling crates and boxes and pianos, moving into a new home, so I just want to raise a glass to the end of a great streak. Hell of a run for Pat. Actually, it was Josh Norris, RIP, who was holding the title the longest. Uh, He literally went seven years without an episode off from this podcast, if you can believe that. Uh, And now he's long gone, not on a podcast at all just yet. But yes, Pat, not here today, which is unfortunate because it is is the inaugural episode of a good football show. Uh, It reminds me of whenever Grantland, RIP as well, first came out uh they discussed like they had an open column about the other ideas they had pitched just in case you were unhappy with grantland and i believe (laughs) the second best idea was the goat which as we know is just an awful name like thankfully they did go with grantland uh you should know that all angst if you don't like a good football show is directed at us like we were the ones who fought off the bad names like you should see if you think this name is bad and i don't i actually enjoy it i think it's unique you should see the second and third pitches because they were out of this world wild uh i'm happy we decided on this i'm happy we were the ones that chose this and fought for it and yeah here we are episode one of a good football show i am uh a little bit upset that when pat returns which I, I, you know, I hope will be next week. Uh, that we will have to rename it the mediocre football show. <laughs> I, you know, we're going to go as far as we can with the good, the good football show, but we will have to change it, unfortunately. Until then, yeah. if it's just Denny, it's just a good football show for libs, and that's it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal 
and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, we're going to talk about some of the biggest surprises we saw this season in just a bit, as I said. But let's start with some quarterback news. First, Russell Wilson said on Tuesday, quote, I'm frustrated with getting hit too much. He also said, which is true, I've been sacked almost 400 times. Daigle, what do you make of this news? Is this an offseason storyline with legs or one that's just going to fade away in the coming weeks? And it wasn't a hard report, but I will say Dan Patrick came out Thursday morning and mentioned that his sources in Seattle said that the organization is extremely unhappy that Wilson even spoke audibly about this. And it's just interesting because it's the second year in a row that Russ has finally, I guess, viewed himself as established enough to speak out. You would think that would have happened much earlier in his career. But last year was upset, came out in the Super Bowl whenever he spoke to media and said he wished they would throw more rather than running the ball. And they did that. They did that for eight games. Uh, the offense was explosive. It went away in the second half of the season. They lived into the postseason with one of the worst and least efficient offenses over the second half of the year and got run out of the, the postseason. Uh, and this year, of course, now it's I'm tired of getting hit because he has had one of the most inefficient and worst offensive lines the past half decade, I'd say. And it's a position they continue not putting money into whenever they have their franchise cornerstone right there and happy to be there. Uh, the difference is now I just don't think he's happy to be there because he sees what they're doing. He sees they're almost undermining his entire career in a era, I guess, that we are now seeing players have all the power. Uh, Deshaun Watson trying to leverage his way out of town. Matthew Stafford demanding a trade and getting out of there immediately. So yeah, it's it's unfortunate for the organization. But again, we make our own beds. Like they are the ones who have caused this angst in Russell Wilson. You have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to imagine that the hiring of no-name offensive coordinator Shane Waldron uh, plays some factor in how Russell Wilson is acting these days. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, uh, completely out of his mind with, with criticism of the franchise, but by Russell Wilson's standards, he's clearly unhappy with how things are going. I don't think that, that the Waldron hiring, which seems like maybe bringing in a guy who will just do what Pete Carroll wants to do, which is to further establish, uh, and, as he said at the end of the season. I mean, we we have to we have to remember, so... The, if you put these Wilson comments in the context of how the season ended, like you know, like John was saying, disastrous last four, five, six weeks of the season, just a complete flame out in in the uh, playoff game against against the Rams, and then uh, Pete Carroll takes to the mic and says, "My greatest regret this year is that we did not run the ball more." 
this comes off a second half of the season in which they completely changed their offensive identity compared to the first half. When, by the way, they were incredibly fun for fantasy. I, I, I do miss those days. Uh, and so, you know, when you consider that Wilson is is speaking out after that, after the hire of the new OC, uh, after Carroll's comments, um, it just seems like he's nudging the franchise in a, in a direction of change. Hey, can we please tr- switch it up a little bit here? You know, yeah, I think he's 32. He's going to be 33 by uh, next season. He doesn't have forever. You know, I, I mean, not everybody gets to play until they're mi- into their mid fifties, like Tom Brady. So, um, you know, he, he has what, maybe three, four years left in his prime. Um, and he knows that. So I think that that's what we're seeing here. And remember they, they released Brian Schottenhammer now contract expired or not because uh, uh of his like offense well it was because of his offense like he wanted to pass the ball more uh Pete Carroll didn't see it that way and thus they went with the what the Rams run game pass game coordinator pass game is yeah. that yeah is that what Sean, Shane Waldron was so yeah and so we know what they're going to do this year and maybe that's why he's speaking as well because Russ already sees uh the blueprint it's the same thing that DK Metcalf said in I guess a candid interview afterwards they asked him what was wrong with the offense and he just goes people picked up that we run run pass it's mm-hmm. it's not too hard to figure that game script out yeah Russ sacks taken the last three years 51 48 and 47 and as as you guys were pointing to 40 touchdown passes last season but eight uh 28 in the first eight games so a frustrated human being there and it's frustrating for Seahawks fans too because the Seahawks are as good every year as they can be because of Russell Wilson and not because of what the organization doing because they're not helping him they're not trying to make the team better at least uh in terms of winning they think what they're doing is good but it's not they're not asking anyone from the outside so russ is doing whatever he can he it almost scares me like philip rivers career how he's gonna go down as like one of the better quarterbacks that people don't realize how good he was because he just really had nothing around him the seahawks are i don't know what they're building towards because it's not it's certainly not towards helping make russ's life easier right now yeah, it's, yeah, it's ahead, tragic in, in the same way that uh, Aaron Rodgers is tragic. You know, Aaron Rodgers is headed toward a career, a great career in which he'll win one Super Bowl. And that's the same, you know, unless things change in Seattle, it's going to be the same thing with Wilson. And it is, it's a shame. It's a shame because we we know, we know how great Russell Wilson great. is as a court. I mean, just off the charts, you know, I mean, at, at times last season, early in the, the first uh, month of the season, he was clearly the best player in the league, like like by far and away, you know, and to have a team that is not maximizing that potential is, is very frustrating. You mentioned the Seahawks fans, Dagle. It's borderline cruel what happened to Seahawks fans this season because they got a taste of what Let Russ Cook actually looked like and then it was just taken away. And now it's like that's in the rearview mirror now. Like we tried it and it's over. It's, it's just it's brutal. It's awful, and it's interesting because both Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson are unrestricted free agents, so maybe the Seahawks open back up with Rashad Penny, DJ Dallas, uh, but the plan is to still try to quote-unquote establish the run with those two guys. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just a disaster right now on offense. All right, speaking of which, the man who led the league in sacks taken this past season, 50 of them in just 12 games, was of course Carson Wentz. He reportedly has had some interest from the Colts and the Bears as he continues to be in trade rumors. What do you make of this situation with Wentz, Danny, based on what you've seen and heard? I think the um, the comparison to the Stafford deal is off base, uh, to, to put it mildly. The, the Bears or whoever is interested in Wentz, they're going to be doing the Eagles a favor 
here. Uh, I know that obviously if a team acquires Wentz, they want him. They do want to kick the tires and see if if that that same borderline elite quarterback is still there that we saw, you know, two or three seasons ago. But the asking price, the reported asking price for Wentz um, just seems way, way too high right now. Uh, but it is a position, you know, that that requires teams to go all in if they want to get um, a quarterback, still still a young quarterback, a formerly productive quarterback um, who, uh, you know, if we can erase the, the past season, does have a lot of upside. And I know you can't erase the past season. No one can, you know, have the men in black little laser thing. Uh, to erase their memories because uh, to do so would, would be to obscure who maybe he has become when Carson Wentz has become. This is my very long way of saying that I hope a team doesn't go all in to get Wentz, but I, I do think that that's what it'll take to get him if you truly want him. The asking price, of course, is two first rounders and an additional pick. The issue is that Howie Roseman is not seeing that the Rams had to include a few first rounders to get Jared Goff's contract off their books. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing the Eagles will have to do. I think there are suitors out there. It's the bears and the Colts are heavily rumored. Uh, The bears even recently promoted John DiFilippo to a pass game coordinator, I believe added that to his title. And as we know, he has had success with wins in the past, but yeah, it's just, they don't understand that they took a gamble on this lucrative contract for Wentz and they failed at it. And so now they are the ones who have to push this contract off their books, not the other way around. There aren't going to be too many interested suitors. Uh, yes, we are one year, two years removed now for Wentz carrying the corpse of Greg Ward and no other wideouts to uh, the postseason and, you know, playing well. But last year, again, he was one of the league's worst backups, not starters, backups, leading the league. And as you said, Matt, sacks taken, interceptions and fumbles. So it's just a it's still he's just a project. And whereas Jared Goff, you know, Goff is probably a project, but at least you know what you're getting. Wentz, you have no idea. And sure, the volatility makes him a high upside play. But again, the floor is that you get absolutely nothing in return like we saw this year as well. So I think it's just going to take much more from the Eagles sweetening the pot to get him away and off their cap. You could envision him going to the Colts, Denny, and you could see how Wentz could go to the Colts and actually turn things around being in that functional system, that functional organization. The Bears feels like it just has comical potential for the season Wentz just had going to Chicago's system. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, the Colts have a really nice surrounding cast, Mm -hmm. really good offensive line, a focus on on the rushing attack, which could take some pressure off of Wentz so he wouldn't have to be, you know, the guy in that offense. Um, but look, like very low key, a very good, you know, wide receiver group in, in Indianapolis. can't really say the same for Chicago because, you know, you have Allen Robinson likely to leave there. What, what do you have after that? You have, you have uh, Mooney. I mean, what, you, what do you, what do you have? You know, it's, it's just, uh, yes, I do agree. The comical aspect is fully in play. If uh, Wentz goes to the bears, um, I, I think that, you know, for, for fantasy purposes, we should be rooting for him to go to the Colts. Although I, I, I would say that we're still talking about deeper leagues. We're still talking about, you know, streaming potential for Wentz as a Colt. And if he goes to the Colts, he probably is gifted the starting position by default, but don't they at least allow Jacob Easton to compete? And I'm not even a Jacob Easton guy. Like <laughs> He has no rushing floor. Uh, he threw for 12 touchdowns and seven interceptions in the Pac-12 in his final year in college. But they did just spend a fourth rounder on him. Uh, and maybe that's all it takes to get Wentz. Um, you know, I doubt they give a first and a fourth up 
for Wentz. So if he does end up there, I don't know if he just walked into the starting role either. I hadn't considered that. Uh, <laughs> that, that I mean, but but you know what though? They're, they're talking about Easton like he's like he has a shot. You know, right? You know more so than uh, Jacoby Brissett, which I think the the GM uh, Chris Ballard said uh, he's not totally completely out of the equation. So let's pump the brakes, and you know, obviously that we know what that means. But uh, yeah, I mean, you would have to, you would have to think he would be gifted that spot to start with. To start with, I, I guess if he's if he's not right. If Wentz is not right, if he's if he truly is like a, a broken quarterback, then a guy like Easton would, would have a shot. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, we're going to spend a few minutes here talking about some of the season's biggest surprises or at least some of the surprise developments that have stood out to us and stuck with us. We've each brought a couple to the table, I believe. Daigle, why don't you kick things off here? I'll start with the most relevant one, and that's because given what has happened over the postseason, I think we forget that Ronald Jones actually rushed for 100 yards in three consecutive games earlier this year, was one of only four players this past year to do so, and just the fourth player in league history with a gain of 98 yards or longer in that span, averaging 20 carries per game in that three-game stretch. Uh, And we know what happened. He went to the COVID list. He returned. Leonard Fournette had somewhat taken over the job, but more or less it got to the postseason. Fournette played better, and then they leaned on Fournette, so much so that he smashed his Super Bowl prop, seven, eight and a half total yards, went well over 100 yards, and was just a terrific player all around. So it just seems like we are an eternity removed from Ronald Jones being the only option they were using at the time but that was at one point happening for the bucks and who knows what happens this next year because Leonard Fournette of course a free agent LaShawn McCoy probably won't come back uh they didn't use Keyshawn Vaughn at all so maybe it's Ronald Jones backfield next year but either way it seems just like light years ago that he was being featured yeah I mean it it stuck with us in the postseason I mean you know those of us who kept talking about and analyzing uh DFS lineups kept saying you know, Ronald Jones was the guy like he and he could be again if if he's right. You know, he had the quad injury, which was big. He was a, a very late, questionable, uh, very aggravating scratch against Washington in that playoff game. You know, and, and uh, I, I don't know if he fully recovered from that. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure he did not until the Super Bowl, until he had that, that two weeks uh, to get right health wise. Uh, you know, Fournette, I, I talked with Matt and Pat last week or 
well, it, you know, Monday, I'm sorry. It seems like last week, it was Monday about Fournette probably headed out, you know, uh, to a team that you saw him perform in the postseason and would very much like his services and will probably overpay for him by a, a tremendous amount. And that leaves Ronald Jones as the presumptive starter. I, I don't think that Bruce Arians would just say, okay, like he's the three down back no matter what, but that might be in, in the range of outcomes. It's so easy to forget how good he was becoming for fantasy purposes. And that run, that 98-yard run, was actually kind of huge. They had just gotten blown out by the Saints the week before, 38-3. to They were in a close game against Carolina, and then, and then Rojo took off. And that was the only win that the Bucs got in a, in a four-week stretch right there, that win over the Panthers. It is fairly crazy. And like I said, it, it seems like it was such a long time ago, but it was just in the middle of the season. And then Fournette eventually just won the job over, and now he's gone. All right. Uh, Daigle, you got one more for us here? Sure. Yeah, I'll go again. Uh, I think Nelson Aguilar's emergence was a surprise as well. And it's because a lot of things have to happen. And it starts with the Raiders essentially wasting the number 12 overall pick on Henry Ruggs. Uh, I still think Henry Ruggs is a terrific player, but no team had a, how do I put this, a worse draft pick that they clearly had no idea how to use. Mm -hmm. They saw speed. And they drafted him thinking, oh, speed, great. But literally just to send him on fly routes and that's it for his first for his whole campaign. Literally just wasting that first round pick that could have gone somewhere else useful. Instead, it's Aguilar, a journeyman who failed with the Eagles the year prior, who led the team in air yards and end zone targets from Derek Carr. Uh, he finished second on the team in target share with 16%, which is more a detriment to how Derek Carr spreads the ball around as opposed to featuring receivers for our fantasy purposes. But overall, just the fact if you had in the pot at the beginning of the year, Nelson Aguilar is four X better than Henry Ruggs. Like it would have been a wild, wild bet. And that was definitely the case as he was their number one wide receiver behind a uh, tight end. Of course, Darren Waller. He clearly became, you know, a focal point for Derek Carr, um, especially late in the season. I, you know, remember that that Dolphins game late in the season uh, where Aguilar caught that long touchdown. Derek Carr was keying on him in the second half of that game as the game went back and forth, as the Raiders clearly had to put, put a lot of points on the board when the Dolphins' uh, offense woke up a little bit. So uh, not to get bogged down in one game, but Aguilar was good, like weirdly good when he got the opportunity I know it's easy and fun, and I've done it myself, to make fun of Aguilar for the uh, indescribably terrible drops that he's had in his career with the Eagles particularly, but you you can't ignore what happened here, especially late late in the season. Aguilar is headed for free agency. Let's posit hypothetically that he ends up back with the Raiders. You look at his numbers for the season, 48 catches, 896 yards, eight touchdowns. Daigle, if he's back... I mean, does this just scream fluke to you? Can he even approach those numbers again? It depends what else they do in free agency. They're apparently interested in Judas Schuster, which would create a log jam because obviously he led the Steelers in slot route. Uh, Hunter Renfro led the team in slot route. And then you would have Henry Ruggs in the boundary. But if Aguilar's back, I could see myself definitely drafting him in the later rounds uh, because it comes down to recency bias. Uh, no one in the middle of this stretch, no one wanted to believe that Aguilar was the team's number one wideout. Uh, I remember being in the Silva Manor basement and being called an Aguilar stan. But that's not the case at all. Like I'm not a fan of the guy whatsoever. It's the fact that he was the team's number one receiver and no one wanted to believe it. It's kind of it's the it's what happens in 
fantasy analysis is that we always get bogged down on what we want to happen as opposed to what is happening in front of us. Hence why the postseason, if you kept on yelling from the mountaintop about Ronald Jones being used, <laughs> then uh, your money was being burned every single DFS lineup because he was just it was a different time. Like, it doesn't matter what happened in the past if this is the new story. And Aguilar was clearly loved and favored by Derek Carr down the stretch. So if he returns, I definitely buy into the rapport he had with Carr for sure. It's a lot more fun to want Henry Ruggs to be the guy if you just watch watching the two players play. Like, everyone wanted Ruggs to succeed. But, yeah, it's a really good point about what we want to happen and what actually happens, having a, a huge gap sometimes. I genuinely maybe didn't – like, not to put you on the spot, but if you can mm-hmm. think of – Another situation of a guy who was just like so improperly used. I mean, Gruden had no clue how to use rugs. And I'm, I'm going to doubt that changes in year two. I know everyone was also all over Brian Edwards at one point. It's just like, right. no, of course he doesn't know how to use these guys. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm racking my brain for, uh, you know, a worst case of misusage. Uh, and it's, it's difficult to come up with. I mean, I guess there there have been coaches that have tried to treat running like um, you know running backs who are clearly not every down running backs mm-hmm. as every down running backs. That's that's one kind of scenario that comes to mind. But as far as receiver goes, I, I don't know. I can't right now. I cannot think of a, another situation that kind of okay. matches that misunderstanding of how to use rugs. I was going to say Antonio Gibson's lack of targets, maybe versus mm. carries, but that's not as extreme as the the rugs thing, and, I guess. And he proved to be a very good runner. I mean, he finished, I believe, twelfth overall in fantasy points per game. And yeah, I mean, well, a lot of his production came against those two games against the Cowboys. Like they built a statue in Dallas for him <laughs> because he he owns zip codes there now. All right, Danny, hit us with uh, with some of your surprising developments from this past season. So I know, you know, he, he was very frustrating at times this season, but Logan Thomas somehow finished the season as the tight end three. And it's amazing because tight end is so top heavy with, with Kelsey Kittle when he's healthy. And of course, Darren Waller, that finishing as a tight end three almost just seems, you know, like a side note at this point. It's like, you know, when, when people say, Oh, well, player X can be a tight end one, meaning a top 12 guy in a 12 team. Who cares? Who cares? That, that doesn't make him usable like uh, consistently. You know, that, that just means that he has a couple like, like hot streaks during the season and then is otherwise unusable for fantasy. So anyway, losing the thread here, Logan Thomas led the league uh, among tight ends in pass routes run. Amazing. He, he was among the, the league leaders in offensive snaps at tight end. He was among the league leaders in tight end targets. He was the tight end, the only guy getting opportunity as tight end for Washington. He was, uh, you know, just behind Terry McLaurin uh, in the pecking order there in Washington. I think that that will continue into next year. And uh, you know, we we kind of saw this coming. You know, uh, Ron Rivera and the coaching staff were very bullish on Logan Thomas, and it sounded, it sounded from a fantasy standpoint. It, I remember it sounding almost funny. Like, are, are you trolling us right now? You know, are, you're, you're saying Logan Thomas is is going to be a key part of your passing attack. But he was. He was. And, you know, it, it worked to varying degrees with Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins and, of course, um, Taylor Heineke at the very end there. But if you if they get a quarterback in Washington who can throw a strong ball down the seam to Logan Thomas, which is where he dominated last year and where, where I, th- I think he can continue to based on his size and speed combination. You know, who's to say he's not going to be a top three tight end again, you know, with the caveat that there was a huge, it was a 10 t- mile gap between 
uh, Kelsey and Waller and then Thomas. But he was a, a fantastic surprise. And even though you had to power through, what, uh, a month or month and a half of really thin fantasy production, if you stuck with him long enough, I, I think that he did pay off. Even if they're happy running it back with Heineke, who they just re-signed to a two-year deal next year from week one, I think that's fine. Uh, remember, that usage, that those on-field peripherals were there for the first couple months in the beginning of the season as well, except Dwayne Haskins' catchable target rate to Thomas was atrocious and among the bottom of the league. So if we just remove Haskins from the picture for that first month even, uh, Thomas' production is even better. I stole this stat from friend of a good football show, Rich Rebar, and that is the disparity between tight end scoring this year. The margin between Travis Kelsey's points per game and Logos Tomlin's points was the widest margin for tight end scoring from one to three in the past 30 years. Mm. Hence why uh, he believes Kelsey's ADP is already overrated just because it's going to be what we assume much closer the following year since this past year was uh, an, an anomaly. Having said that, I still think the opportunity will be there for Thomas next year. And maybe that's just the secret since we know tight ends don't matter anyways. Uh, you just find an athletic guy who's hyped up by his coaching staff with no competition on the roster. Jeremy Sprinkle was the one guy holding back Logan Thomas pre-week one. Why did we care at all? We should have just drafted <laughs> Logan Thomas and called it a day because any second tight end you draft anyways, you're most likely going to drop after week one. So you just take a chance on gifted dudes who have no competition behind them. Uh, hence the Darren Waller from two years ago as well. I, yes. And uh, that's a great example. Way back. The Zoomers won't remember, but Julius Thomas was that guy, you know, in, yes. in, in Denver. And, you know, so yeah, if you can find a super athletic dude playing tight end and the, and the key, like Daigle said, is no competition for snaps. And if you don't have that, that means that he's on the field. He's running routes. And I know that it's cold comfort when, you know, you play Logan Thomas, just say, for instance, this year, and he gives you two catches for 27 yards, but he ran the most routes of any tight end for that week. I know that's cold comfort, but it, it is meaningful, and it, and it is something we should look for. Logan Thomas quickly had a kind of a fascinating career. Came into the league as a quarterback, 35 catches before this season total. And then he had 72 this season for 670 yards and six scores. He's also low-key old, Daigle. He's actually almost 30, which is kind of surprising because he feels like this is the first we're hearing of him. I believe Josh said uh, he scouted him in his bowl game because Thomas was a quarterback then for the Hokies. And he had like he got pulled, I believe. He had one of the worst bowl games ever for a quarterback. But hey, now he has a successful career as a tight end. Yeah, his passing stats, I think, are not very good. But no. they're, oh, yeah, <laughs> they are. They are Kendall Hinton like. Mm -hmm. Although he did throw an 81 yard touchdown, one for nine passing in 2014. Boy, Kendall uh, Hinton was one for nine as well. <laughs> All right, uh, Danny, you got one more? I do. Uh, so, guy, I, I just constantly talk about it seems like Brandon Ayuk was it was a great surprise. The off season hype, or the, particularly like the July August hype really paid off if you drafted him late and kind of held on to see how the Niners were going to use him. He seemed like, you know, to me, and, and obviously this was incorrect, and I'll, I'll talk more about it in a second, but to me it seemed like he was, you know, kind of a Debo Samuel clone, you know, in the way that they were going to use him. Lots of, you know, reverses, lots of little toss sweeps, you know, just little, little gadget type plays to get him the ball in space and, you know, obviously extremely fast, elusive, explosive type guy. 
we all remember, I think the, you know, on a Sunday night game, hurtling over a defender uh, who, who didn't even dive. I mean, the defender was just standing there. I just <laughs> jumps over, you know, so that's how I thought he was going to be used. And it wasn't, you know, he was a, a more traditional kind of receiver than Debo Samuel uh, has been a, 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 with, with the Niners. And so he brings something to that offense that Debo does not. Uh, and I don't think that Debo Samuel being healthy for a whole season, which seems like a lot to ask at this point, um, is going to hurt Brandon Ayuk's opportunity all that much in that San Francisco uh, offense. So I think that he overperformed uh, even the wildest expectations. He became the guy in that offense with, with Kittle out, I should say, with, with George Kittle out and with the team facing uh, deficits week in and week out, you just knew he was one of the, he became for a while there, Brandon Ayuk became one of uh, the safest bets to see double digit targets in the league. And who could have thought that back in August? I, I certainly did not. My main takeaway is that to your point, Denny, Ayuk is unaffected by Debo's presence. And that's why I will have him ranked higher also because of that last month stretch where he was amazing, but we have, 12 games of evidence. Six he played with Debo in the lineup, six he played without him. And the difference was negligible for Ayuk. 15 fantasy points averaged on the field with Debo, 15 and a half without Debo. Uh, seven catches per game or seven and a half targets per game with Debo, eight and a half without. Literally just split down the middle. And so no matter what, it appears Ayuk is involved in this offense, whether Debo's on the field or not. And that's why I'll have him ranked higher. Whereas you go the other way around, it's only one sample, of course, but Debo, of course, averaged uh, 9.4 fantasy points in the six games he played with Ayuk. And the one game he played without Ayuk, he aver- he got 24 points, yeah. uh, had 11 catches in that game. Again, it's one game. Maybe the difference isn't that crazy, but overall, it seems like Ayuk is surviving no matter who else is available on the field. Brandon Ayuk profiles to me as a, a guy that fantasy players are going to want to draft if they go you know, running back heavy to start a draft and then are in a position where, you know, you're trying to pick up uh, wide receivers with, you know, wide receiver one upside a little later. I actually don't know at the moment where he's going and I guess best ball drafts or whatever, but he seems like a robust RB type target right now. He also seems like a guy who, even though his season numbers were not anything massive, partially because of missed time, you know, 60 catches, 748 yards, five touchdowns is going to be a guy who, maybe hard, harder to draft than those numbers would suggest. Would you agree with that, Dagle? Like, it feels like he's going to be a pretty buzzy player. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. He's someone who will probably go uh, overdrafted. Like, if the hype is going to be too high at some point. I believe that's that's how we reached with Deontay Johnson at one point, where we thought he was a steal, like, in the fifth round, and then the hype just rose entirely too much. Uh, that's probably what Ayuk, it's going to happen for Ayuk, honestly. I don't know. It's in the offseason to tell, like, when I'll bow out of that price, but... Yeah, he's definitely going to be him and like T Higgins seem like the easy flyers to get on. All right. Uh, My first surprise is another rookie that would be undrafted rookie. James Robinson took over the Jaguars backfield, finished as the RB seven in terms of total points, more than 1400 total yards and 10 touchdowns. I flash back to, I believe it was September 6th with the news on the site, formerly known as Roto world that Robinson's training camp played a role in the decision to release Leonard Fournette. I ran to pick him up, and I don't know if you guys ever had this experience just talking about fantasy 
phenomenons in general. You pick someone up, you're excited about them, and then about five minutes later, you get bored and go add someone else. That's what I personally did with Robinson. So I guess I have two questions for you. Number one, what do you take away from Robinson's season, Daigle? Number two, how do you avoid that mistake that I made of like moving on to the next thing too fast, if that makes sense? I mean, if you recall, in FFPC high-stakes leagues, the week after Leonard Fournette was cut, Divine Azigbo's average bid in free agency was actually $3 more than James Robinson's. Everyone was split down the middle. Uh, I believe J.J. Zacharyson was the one like pounding the table, thinking mm-hmm. like, hey, you can get this guy basically for free, and he could be a starter because there's no one here threatening his competition. Who was the guy I kept drafting that was on the COVID list all year? Armstead. Thank you. Yeah, Raquel Armstead. Armstead. Yeah, yeah I, I, like he's so far removed from my memory. Uh, this season has taken a toll on me. But yeah, I was drafting him throughout the offseason. Clearly was on the team's COVID list throughout the entire year. No idea if he's healthy. No idea what he's doing in his life now. But it was James Robinson. My issue with Robinson moving forward is that it just seems like an impossible bucket for him to fall into and achieve yet again as a consistent fantasy player. He set records as an undrafted rookie and reaching 1,300 yards from scrimmage through 13 games on a tanking offense with no competition behind him. So like to think that that's going to happen again already makes me want to avoid him because people are going to treat him like a second round option. And maybe if they don't add anyone at all, that's the case. But I just cannot imagine that happening again. And remember, uh, he got there mostly because Chris Thompson, middle of the year, got put on the COVID list himself. And then that allowed Robinson to have to average 25 and a half touches and 25 fantasy points per game to bring managers into the fantasy postseason. So again, it just seems like an anomaly worth of uh, of his box score that I just can't be chasing because like how often do undrafted rookies and clearly rarely if ever actually do this on a yearly basis. Uh, Thompson, you know, going on the COVID list and missing all that time was an outsized factor. Like you said, Daigle, uh, and, and it's one that's kind of easy to forget. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember the Monday after James Robinson's first game as like the only running back in Jacksonville. Uh, I looked at his route running numbers and they doubled or they more than doubled. Um, and that continued the next week, the, the next week after that. And you just thought, Oh wow. This is, and it, it reminded me of what happened with David Montgomery after Tariq Cohen went down, uh, you know, just this entirely new aspect of his game was added to his fantasy opportunity. He was always going to be the early round guy for the Jaguars last year, but really on a terrible team facing lots of deficits and forced to pass a lot. They had the, the highest neutral pass rate of any of any team in the league in 2020. Then what what good is it? What good what you know it's not it's not that great of a spot to be in if you're the uh, early round running back, I'm sorry, early down running back on a team like that. But when you can have all three downs like Robinson eventually did with Thompson gone, um, that made all the difference. I do think that he is in position to be probably the most overdrafted running back in fantasy this year. Mm, I like it. (laughs) My second and final surprise is a player who outperformed his ADP in a massive way. Stefan Diggs Yahoo ADP was 72.5. The wide receiver 25 on average in drafts in Yahoo drafts. Anyways, he proceeded to produce a season of 127 catches, 1535 yards, eight touchdowns finished as the wide receiver three behind only Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill Danny, is there anything to take away from this lessons wise? Like, could we have seen this coming better? And 
second part of that is can Diggs repeat in your mind? I think the thing with the Bills this year is that we didn't get a preseason and we didn't get uh, like any kind of look at uh, how that offense may have changed from, you know, 2019 or 2018 and 19 to, to of course this year, 2020. And uh, so without that, you had to kind of go, you know, with faith that Diggs would be an absolute target dominator uh, in what would shape up to be a very pass heavy offense. And those were two assumptions that may have, you know, elicited some, some laughter on fantasy Twitter back in, uh, in the summer. So I really don't know if you could have seen that coming. The exposure that I, I got to Diggs, you know, and, and obviously I'm the zero RB guy, whatever. And, but is when I would get him as like my wide receiver four and be like, well, you know, you never know. Maybe he'll, he'll emerge as like just an absolute target hog in that offense. And, and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, but if you were drafting him as your wide receiver one, your you know your lineup uh, last summer it looked a little bit iffy, if I remember correctly. So to answer your question, and that was a really long answer, I don't know if you could have seen that coming. Yeah, the Bills already had Cole Beasley and John Brown like established with proven rapport with Josh Allen from the year prior. And so to think Diggs arrives and not only doubles his catch total with the Vikings from the year prior, but leads the entire league in receiving yards uh, seems like a stretch. But then again, if you, we learned anything, maybe it's because in this new era, and I talked about it earlier, how players across sports now um, have the lever. They're demanding their ways out if they're unhappy, uh, whether it's basketball, baseball, yada, yada. Um, maybe it's that we're just overthinking the most talented, like the cream of the crop, moving locations, and just not figuring out that talent's going to buck any trends we've seen in the past. Like very rarely do, do the best wide receivers in the entire league, the best players in the entire league, DeAndre Hopkins last year as well, Stephon Diggs, of course, guys who are proven route runners, proven to have success no matter the quarterbacks under center. And we're sitting here citing trends, uh, historical trends, receivers who have moved on to the past. Maybe that's just us overthinking it. Like we just say, hey, these guys are the most talented in the league. Uh, they move teams, whatever. They're going to be just fine. And maybe it's as simple as that, honestly. All right. That is about going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Anything to promote, fellas, on the site before we get out of here? Yes. I wrote many words about new offensive coordinators in the NFC, including the aforementioned Seahawks offensive coordinator, whose name I am looking up as I speak. Shane Waldron is his name. Did some uh, a deep dive on Shane Waldron, uh, among others. So check that out. And then Hayden has his off-season team previews going on for the next month. And then I just posted the available targets tracker and the available carries trackers for watching and monitoring throughout the off season. I'll update them pretty much every night, especially when it comes to free agency to hopefully look towards opportunity and value at ADP to see who lands with the most opportunity among all teams. So you can go check those out on the site right now. Very important. Love those tools. Yeah. All right. Daigle, Danny. Thanks guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand
life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.